Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the State of America podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ian Rice. And with me, as always, is my good buddy, David Hudson. David, how are you, sir? What's up, Ian? Oh, you know, the usual, just uh, it's a bit of a sweltering day here. So I'm trying to beat the heat sitting inside, you know, with the AC on. I'm not. I'm not good with the heat. I don't know about you. You're a southern man, so you know uh, maybe you're a little more adapted. To uh, it. No, I'm not. I go underground, <laughs> like a mole. <laughs> yeah, my house faces east and west, and so like it's just so hard for the AC to to keep up with it during the summer. And I tell my wife like we can't even crack the blinds. Like everything has to be on lockdown. You know? <laughs> no, I do the same thing. I have skylights in my my place, and. I'm thinking of installing blinds on those because just the sunlight coming through that is crazy. Get you some um, some blackout material. I know. I'm surprised I don't go to the beach with like, you know, a big white nose with sunscreen holding an umbrella. You know, I'm very. You see, going to the beach doesn't bother me at all. No, I don't I can, like the beach. Man. Oh, I love the beach. I I like the beach, but I don't like just hanging out like sitting in the sun. You know, I, I feel like a you know a potato or something just baking all day. <laughs> Well, you do have that uh, that white complexion. Yes, it's that fair English skin, you know. Right. But so we should really touch on our time in Atlanta, going down to see the uh, fabulous Americans Black Crows tribute band. We had a great time, did we not? Man, that was so much fun. We had. Uh, let's make sure we don't forget anybody. Sean Hillman came in. Our buddy Dave Chamberlain came in. Dave recorded an episode with us. Uh, I got to meet Mal. He's Mal on Twitter. Uh, Black Crow's guitar, Trent and his wife were there. We got to meet yeah. them. And uh, am I le- leaving anybody out? No, I think we touched on everybody, man. Sh- Sean, fantastic guy. Had a great time hanging out with him. Really nice to meet Trent. Yeah, and super his, nice uh, lovely guy. lady there. I was glad that we had that opportunity. I feel bad I didn't get to meet Mal because you kind of came over and said, I said, he's right over there. And then he, he was gone and I don't, I never got to connect up with him. So I, I apologize yeah, he, for that. He left about halfway through that set on Saturday. I, and I, I didn't get to talk to him very much cause it was so loud. It's, you know, Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for listening and thanks for coming. But yeah, we had a real good time. And if you're interested in wanting to hang out with some more Americans, we're going to be at the Nashville rocking pod and Ian and I will have a table set up there with some stuff to give away. And, we already know of a few people that are coming in. And so if you're interested in going and want to go, let us know. And I'll point you in the direction to get a, a ticket. I think they're like 20 bucks or something like that. It's a lot of fun. And I think it's going to be at least 35 music podcasts there. Yeah, come see us. And we're going to try to put something together one night. A bunch of us hang out somewhere, either Friday or Saturday night. I'm not real sure. But depends on how many people want to show up. So if you uh, want to come, just... Send us an email at stateofamork at gmail.com or Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. Just however you can get in touch with us. And we'd love to see as many of you as possible. Yeah. We maybe should give them your direct phone number as well. We'll leave that off. <laughs> no, it's it's going to be great. Uh, that You know, we kind of got, because of the pandemic, obviously, we've been a bit cloistered and not uh, being able to meet up as, as early. I mean, we've been doing this, you know, a little bit over two years now. And 
we haven't really had an opportunity to, to meet up with some of the folks that regularly chat with us and message us and things like that. And that's something we really want to do. And we got a little bit of taste of that in Atlanta and we had a really good time and, and you know, we'd like to do that even more so in, in Nashville. And I think that'll be a lot of fun. Well, I know Kate's for sure coming. Buffet Girl on Twitter has, has messaged me. She lives in Nashville. She's coming. Jason Johannes and Brian Jones will have their podcast there. All Things Blues and Southern Rock, hopefully set up like right next to us. Yeah, there's some other people. I've, I've, I've kind of lost count, but several people that live within driving distance say they're going to come. and It's going to be fun. It's going to be a bunch of podcasts there. Um, I'm sure all of you are familiar with Matt Finfield. He will be there. Ricky Rockman will be there. They just announced Carmona Peace and Vinnie Apice are both going to be there, which I know a lot of you people that are drummers know they're kind of royalty. Billy Sheehan from Mr. Big and Mark Goodman, MTV VJ, is going to be there. And so they still they still have a lot more people they're going to announce. But yeah, it'd be like a Bruce Springsteen podcast. Usually there's like a Cheap Trick podcast there. There's some, if Kiss is your thing, there's some Kiss podcasts there. And comedians, uh, Craig Gass, you know him from Howard Stern. He does the... Uh, Great Gene Simmons impression and then and, uh, uh, impersonation. And brilliant Sam Kinison, he does. Yes. And then uh, Don Jameson will be there. Everybody knows him from that metal show. So those are just some of the people off the top of my head. But uh, more importantly, you and I will be there. We will be there. And we'll be, we'll be doing some recording for sure. We did quite a bit of material while we were in Atlanta and we intend to record. We like to take the opportunity of being in the, physically in the same location to do some uh, recording because, you know, it does. It is a little bit of a different dynamic. Plus, you know, with all the people stopping by, we like to try to include everybody. We may, uh, if you come see us, we may uh, just turn the recorder on and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, we got some great stuff in in Atlanta, and uh, it's going to be some stuff that's you know forthcoming over the next few weeks. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and we're going to pepper that stuff out to you every couple of weeks because we've got a uh, we've got a bunch of interviews we've already done that we're getting out that we think you guys are going to like, and so we'll. Some of those will come out as probably State of America chats, and some of them will come out as standalone episodes. Yep, or bonus episodes. We have all kinds of irons in the fire. Right, right. But to uh, to dial back for one second, you mentioned the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. That's hosted by our two buddies, Brian Jones and Jason Johannes. I did make a quick appearance on their podcast uh, this past week. When they were talking about Blackberry Smoke's new album, You Hear Georgia, they were kind enough to invite me on and to do a discussion about that album. And I think we had a great time. So if you guys have the opportunity to check that out, I know they'd appreciate it. And and also check out the record, for that matter. It's fantastic, wouldn't you say? Man, it's, it is so good. I actually messaged Charlie Starr before we came on and was just saying, like, the production is perfect. The lyrics are great, the playing is great, and the sequencing on it is perfect. Just a, a gem of an album. If you like guitar playing and you don't like this album, something's wrong with you. It is a gem of an album, and Charlie is a gem of a guy. He really is a nice guy. I can't, uh, I, I appreciate, I, you know, you, you contact him quite often, and he's always very responsive to you, always very kind, and I really appreciate that. He's like a guy... I think I had said this to you privately. Like, if I just bumped into him, he'd just be a guy I'd want to hang out with, even if he wasn't in Blackberry Smoke. You know what I mean? It's just that kind of seems very relaxed kind of guy. You know? I mean, he's one of us. He yeah. loves the crows. He loves good music. He's a music nerd. Yeah. We have to stick together, Ian. He's a little more stylish than us, though. That's true. I don't have the chops. No, I couldn't. I couldn't carry off chops. I couldn't grow chops, to be honest with you. <laughs> really? You can't grow a beard? Uh, I, you know, I have blonde hair. It's very light. You need to I try. Like... You need. You need to try to grow one. 
Now my beard always comes out like I look like I've been on a bender for like a week and a what half. What if you know? what if what if we like have a charity if we can get like let's say four hundred dollars donated to like Nucci Space or or whatever, you'll grow your beard out for a month. <laughs> Don't be a poor sport. No, regardless if it was a week or a month, it would look it would be the same growth. It just halts at one point and you know, it doesn't look right. But I'll I'll do it, man. If there's charity money on the line, I'll do it. That would be funny. Hashtag make Ian grow a beard or something like that. <laughs> well, we'll have to see if there's any public interest in that. <laughs> we'll see. If you wanna if you wanna make a donation to something, let us know and we'll we'll see about getting that going. So before we, we head on over to our wonderful interview with Mr. Dave O'Grady. It is pertinent that we mention that the Black Crows Shake Your Moneymaker anniversary tour is finally getting underway next month, July 20th in uh, Nashville. Isn't that correct? It's imminent. It's imminent. It's happening. Anxious to see what this looks and sounds like. Are you? Oh, yeah. I still have. I retained my tickets from originally it was July 2020. Uh, It's since been pushed now to September of 2021. Same venue. So I still have my tickets. I know you had traded yours in, but you purchased another set of tickets, right? Yeah, I got tickets for uh, Birmingham. I was going to be like a, just to get either go to Atlanta or Birmingham just on a whim. That's like Labor Day weekend and just whichever one I wanted to go to. But when got the info that Sven was back in the band, I went that morning and got some tickets. Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice. Hopefully you get a chance to uh, say hello to Sven in person because, uh, you know, he's uh, he's one of our buddies now, you know. Yeah, he's a good guy. Like I think, like we said on the last episode, I couldn't be happier for him. Oh no, definitely. And speaking of good guys, our guest this week was a hell of a guy, Mr. Dave O'Grady. For those who don't know, Dave O'Grady is better known under the moniker Seafoam Green. He, uh, which is what he records under, fantastic singer, fantastic songwriter, great guy from Dublin, Ireland, but he's based out of Liverpool in England. And uh, we had an opportunity to talk to him. I had a lot of fun. This was one of the more surprising and fascinating interviews we've done. Yeah, he has some great stories. I will put this out here as a caveat to uh, people just in, a, in advance. This is probably holds the record for the most F-bombs you're ever going to hear in a State of America episode, which is fine, but I feel it's worth mentioning up front. Yeah, so if you have children around, they might want to wait till they go to bed or aren't in the car to listen to it. Uh, he was uh, He was extremely forthcoming and extremely honest and extremely funny. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I and I, I honestly, I only mention that because it's not uh, commonplace in most of our episodes, so it might catch some people by surprise. Unless, unless they listen to Corn Shucker. Well, yes, and uh, I will go on record as saying we always play the song that the guests ask for, so that's why that's on there. And uh, I had never heard it prior, and uh, I actually didn't hear it till I was putting it onto the episode. So that that was a pleasant surprise, but there was no turning back. <laughs> yeah, I know. I let my wife hear it today. Yeah, that must have gone over uh, well. <laughs> oh, it is what it is. But they, hey, thanks, Brando, for coming on. We enjoyed it, and uh, hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah, we had a great time. So uh, what do you say we move on over to our interview with uh, Dave O'Grady, and uh, we'll catch everybody next time.
All right, everybody. So we are very, very excited today to welcome to the podcast uh, someone that we've been trying to put together uh, an interview with for some time and uh, just hasn't come together till now, but I'm really excited about it. It's a gentleman who uh, is the uh, the brains behind the band called Seafoam Green, Mr. Dave O'Grady. Dave, how you doing? Welcome. Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. What's going on? Oh, not much. Thanks for thanks for coming on. You know, we always tend to uh, to ask the question of what you've been, how you've been doing during this pandemic, which has caught everybody, including the music world, off guard for sure. Uh, I have, I've been doing, I've been trying to make the best of it. You know, um, every, I think everybody has ideas and things. If only I could pause the world right now, I would like, I'd be like way better at piano. So. <laughs> When that happened, I kind of took that mantra and I was like, all right, what's all the shit that I wanted to get better at? What are the books I wanted to read? What are all the what are all the records and movies that I pretend that I've already listened to and seen in conversation? And, you know, and just kind of do that kind of stuff and get better at guitar and write songs and try and be productive. That was the first lockdown. And then after that, it all went out the fucking window. Can I switch? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, what's what exactly is happening in your neck of the woods in terms of uh, lockdowns and things? Are you guys still on one or? So we're kind of on the way out. I think we are pretty much done. Like I've been doing shows each Sunday, outdoor shows. Come the 20th of May, we can do indoor shows with some restrictions. And then the 20th of June, I think it's like back to like 2019 vibe. I, I, I mean, I went to my first show. Man, I got to tell you, it was about teared up just hearing uh, the roadie come out and hit an A chord on the, you know, on the guitar. <laughs> Who was? What was the show? Uh, Blackberry Smoke and the North Mississippi All Stars. Ah, yeah, my dudes. <laughs> yeah, so it was, uh, it was, it was some kind of fun. I'm not gonna lie. Great, I can't wait to go to see it. Like, there's like a pilot show happening in Liverpool at the moment where there's like a mini festival in the park where they're kind of testing everybody the day before and then testing everybody a couple of days after to see, you know, what the vibe was, but hopefully it all pans out and we get to do it more. Now you're from uh, Dublin originally, but I know you're, you're in uh, Liverpool, which is obviously a very well-known city musically. How did you, yeah. uh, how did you end up to come settling there? Um, a friend of mine was studying at university here and I was, uh, 18 and just fucking shit up at home and she was just like why don't you come over here and hang out for a weekend and then by the time I'd finished packing my bags I was like I'm just gonna stay there I didn't have a girlfriend I didn't have a job I wasn't doing anything I wanted to give this music thing a go and I knew Liverpool had a good um, a good scene and a good history of music so I thought fuck it let's go and just give it a go so I, I packed my bag I got, got a guitar and I went over and yeah at what age did you start playing music uh like 12 i could always sing so like i i can take no credit for like being able to sing like obviously i've had to work on it over the years and everything but like i could just imitate what i heard and then at about 11 i started 11 or 12 i started i got my first acoustic guitar and just started playing and and then i was like wow chicks really dig this i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna start putting some effort into this you know you know as a 13 year old boy it's like i don't know how to talk to girls so maybe i could just play guitar and sing and that might like do that bit for me um and then yeah, i just i just fucking love it man that and like i really struggled with having a boss any job that i've ever had 
where like someone's in charge of me, I'm just like, nah, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> I guess you know that could be said of any uh, musician you think of. You couldn't picture them having a boss, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I have a wife, so it's the same thing. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, like, I I can't I can't picture me going to McDonald's and Rich Robinson, you know, cooking my fries. Well, yeah, <laughs> no, not well, yet anyway. Speaking of Rich Robinson, that's actually where I was introduced to to you and your music. I had seen Rich at a little place in uh, Manhattan here in New York called the City Winery. Yeah, and uh, you were opening for him on that that tour, and it was uh, uh, unbelievable. I mean, I immediately went to the merch table, and you you had a uh, a single there. Uh, available yeah. i bought that and, and then i you know so how did you initially how did you did you connect up with rich robinson so in 2011 i was working with a scottish singer songwriter called sandy tom mm-hmm. and she i just met her through her brother and i was an aspiring singer songwriter and she was going on tour and i was like do you have a guitar tech and she was like no and i was like well i will guitar tech for you and set up all your shit if you just like feed me on the tour and she was like, all right, cool. So we went on that tour and maybe like three or four shows into the tour, the support act pulled out for whatever reason. And I was like, can I open? And she was like, all right, yeah, cool. So then I opened and then maybe like another like three or four shows into the tour. Um, she had to delay going on stage for like 40 minutes because everybody from the show was at the merch table in the interval buying my CD, which is cool, great. <laughs> I was just like playing it how she how it how it comes, you know what I mean? And um, and then at the end of that tour, she was like, we'd kind of gotten close and become good friends. And she was like, I'm going out to Nashville to make a record, and I'm using an all American band, and I don't know any of them. I've never met any of them before. So do you want to come out and just kind of like be a bit at home and like we're friends and we can hang out and just like just be cool? And I was like, all right, cool. So I flew out to Nashville, never been to America before, never been to Nashville before. We went into 18-ton studios there on 6th Avenue and Music Row in Nashville. And there was all these dudes who I didn't know. I'd never heard of the Black Crows. I'd never, I wasn't, you know what I mean? Um, Audley Freed was playing guitar. Steve Gorman was on drums. Rich was producing and played a little bit of guitar. And on that tour, I had uh, co-written a couple of songs that were possibly going to be on that record or up for contention or whatever. So I was just brought over as like someone to hang out and like take pictures and kind of experience the thing and um, ended up kind of really getting on with Rich. And I was like, oh, cool. You're in a band. I'm in a band, too. What's your band called? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, I'll check you guys out. Yeah, sweet. And then I think that was why we became such good friends, because I was like, I, yeah, cool. We're both in bands. Yeah, cool. Cool story, bro. Because <laughs> um, I, I had no idea. And then obviously after like the two weeks or three weeks in the studio, we went our separate ways. And this is thing, his birthday. So his birthday is in May, I think. Right. I just remember he bought me a present on his birthday. And I was like, oh, cool. I guess this means we're friends. <laughs> like, I remember like, I was wearing these fake Ray-Ban sunglasses on like day one and he was like are they real Ray-Bans and I made some throwaway comment about man I can't afford real Ray-Bans you crazy and then uh, on his birthday he was like here I got you some Ray-Bans I was like oh nice man so he we got, we exchanged numbers and things and kind of stayed in touch and and then maybe like the following January he was doing a European tour on the Through a Crooked Sun record 
and uh, he asked me if I wanted to come out and open and and then I think I opened like every tour from like 2007 to maybe 2015 if there was an opener that wasn't like a big act it was it was me that was fantastic seeing you on that tour and it was obviously stripped down because it was just uh, primarily you know yourself in an acoustic so how did that what you were doing then translate to becoming seafoam green well so i did a, like a bunch of acoustic tours and he really kind of i refer to it as like my songwriter apprenticeship because he would like he'd send me books and cds and be like listen to this read this fucking don't listen to that and then <laughs> i like don't sing that song it's like that's a shitty song don't sing that again that song's really good you know like like i got feedback i got daily feedback which sometimes was hard to hear because i'm sure you know have been to as many black crows and rich robbins shows that i'm sure you both you guys have been at like he doesn't mince his words a lot of the time if you think something's fucking shitty he gonna tell you right <laughs> Um, and he did. Uh, so around 2000 and that was it. Jump back to 2011 when I, we were in Nashville. Um, we both kind of bonded over what a bitch Sandy Tom turned out to be. <laughs> and she was like, I'll sign you to a record label. And he kind of was like, don't fucking sign that record. I, I, that's it. She sent me a deal. And then so at the time, she was like the person that knew the most about the music, about the music industry that I knew so like she was my go-to person but then she sent me this contract that i thought was like nah, this doesn't really seem very fair so i i text him i was like hey can i send you a contract can you just like look over and tell me if it's like some fucking bullshit that i shouldn't sign and he ran me back straight away he was like do not sign that and i was like okay he was like i'm trying to sort out my own record label and um, i'll sign you you'll be the first act that i'll sign i was like all right cool how i didn't really believe it i just thought he was like just don't sign that and then maybe like four years later, he rang me at like one in the morning. And he was like, dude, I got the funding. You fly to L.A. tomorrow. And I was like, fucking all right. Yeah, sweet. I jumped <laughs> on bed. My now wife was like, what's going on? I was like, I got a fucking record deal, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that was it. I flew out. I got picked up by a car at LAX. I was driven to like this cabin um, that supposedly Hendrix used to live in in Topanga Canyon. And I lived there for a month. And then he came over the next day. He At the time, he was living in Topanga too. And he had an art show coming up. So we'd be in his studio in his house. And he'd be painting. And I'd be trying to write songs. This is how we co-wrote songs. Um, so we co-wrote like everything on Topanga pretty much. And like he'd be painting. And I'd be like playing guitar. And like occasionally he would just turn around and be like, no. <laughs> I remember like we were I was trying something to do with water and I was like ebbs and flows and he was just like no ebbs and definitely no fucking flows <laughs> and I was like oh, okay and like I'm 22 23 I think maybe at the time 24 so I'm just like oh this is crazy I'm like in this fucking outhouse of this mansion at Topanga and I'm fucking he's doing art gallery and fucking I'm gonna meet Mick Fleetwood tomorrow at the art thing and it was all just like fucking crazy so then after that he went away for a couple of days anyway I ended up doing some magic mushrooms um, <laughs> and and it was yeah crazy Topanga mushrooms and then we went into the studio uh, 14th street in Santa Monica and um, and we made Topanga with like he just brought in a bunch of dudes like who played on it? Patrick Kilter from the Raconteurs was on drums. 
McDougal played keys. Um, yeah, loads of dudes. Seho Navias on, on the desk. Uh, Rami Jaffe from the Foo Fighters came and played some keys. So, like, big, big hitters. And I'm, like, I can barely keep my shit together. Like, I've been a solo acoustic guitar player forever. So my timing is shitty. I'm not used to playing with a band. I'm ruining every take because I'm just like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to smoke weed to calm myself down, but then that's fucking everything up as well. Yeah, it was a, it was a, like, it was a crazy, it was a crazy whirlwind experience of making a record. Crazy. You'd never really know it uh, based on the final result. I mean, it's a fantastic record. I mean, uh, you can, I can kind of hear just because, you know, David and I doing Black Crows related stuff are a little adept at picking out their playing and stuff. It sounds like Rich contributed, uh, you know, quite a bit of guitar to it, if I'm not mistaken. He definitely had his stamp on it, the, the sum of the sound, at least. For sure. Well, I didn't really know anything but what I kind of wanted to say with my songs. So, yeah, like the whole record is him trying to produce or him producing me or what he think I should should be doing. And, yeah, I had no idea how to make a record or like layer keys or like do interesting things. I was like, I got an acoustic guitar and an idea of like I've got a couple of opinions on some things. But, yeah, I had no idea to make a record. Yeah, he played a lot. of. What did he play on? All the guitar, apart from Down the River, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like he's on that one. And it sounds like he might have played the solo on Far From Golden, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, for sure, yeah, for sure. I didn't, I've, I, no, I've only, this new record is the first time I play guitar solos on a record. I've kind of shied away from that type of thing until now. Well, how far do you think it went between the two of you? Because... You weren't a fan of his beforehand. I mean, I, I feel like you, you know, he probably wasn't as guarded and, you know, you got to know him maybe a little bit differently than other musicians would have. Because I didn't care. It wasn't that I wasn't <laughs> a fan. I just like, I had no idea. It's like, you're in a band, I'm in a band. Cool. And then it got kind of weird because I went home to England and started listening to all the Black Crows. And I was like, oh, shit, he's in, like my favorite band. And I didn't even know. <laughs> I love like Americana, soul, blues, rock and roll. I love, all, you know, and then it's like, oh, well, this is the band. You know what I mean? Um, so then when he'd like be ringing me up and chatting, that's when I started getting a little bit nervous. I was because he went from being this really nice dude that I became friends with on this real natural, organic kind of way to this dude that I've been listening to on my record player for six months. But that's only the first couple of minutes of a conversation. Then I was like, oh, it's this douchebag. <laughs> well, you're like, uh, you know, when we've, we've had Steve Gorman on here and, and, and Sven Pippian and some other people that have played with Jimmy Page, you know, and I'm just like, man, this, these people like actually know Jimmy Page, you know. But you, like you said, though, we've had a lot of people on here of, of varying degrees of fame. And once you get past the first few minutes, it's they're your friends. And it's just like you're sitting around having a beer. Well, that's one thing I have to say, like a lot of people have um, a lot of Rich gets a lot of mixed reviews personally. You know what I mean? Um, but he was he was just always cool with me, man. You know what I mean? Like and people pulled me aside and went like he fucking doesn't like anybody, but he loves you. And I'm like, sweet. Great. <laughs> so, I mean, he really then. I mean, as far as I'm concerned on that Topanga Mansion record really kind of brought the best out of you because there's a track on there called uh petty tyrants he coined that phrase for me that song's about oh fuck i've never said this before but that song's actually about sandy tom which is the we so i was really 
not upset, but I was really disappointed at the way me and her relationship kind of panned out. I was like, there was no reason for it to like get so negative. And for whatever reason, people are different. People go through different things and we had it coming together and whatever. Um, and I was just on the phone to him and, and I was like, dude, I'm really bummed out about this. And he was like, well, some people are on this earth just to test you and they're petty tyrants. And you've got to kind of pity those people that their only, their only reason for existence is to make me a better person. So that's, I kind of, as soon as he said, petty, that's what I do. I collect phrases like that, like petty tyrants and things like that. And then I use that as a seed and I kind of reverse engineer a song out of what that might be the, the hook line. I can distinctly remember watching you perform that and the, the, the power of your vocals on that and just the, in that sparse setting, you know, just you and the acoustic, a really powerful song. And it made me want to, I was hoping it would be on the, the record that you had for sale yeah. but uh you know i had a way and but even with the full band it becomes this this great thing yeah. i mean that's definitely yeah. the highlight of the album for you. I, I think that's fantastic the record the record it turned out to be this kind of like it's a bit nicer on the record than it would have been live because on, on like doing that song live before i made a record i was like fuck you like getting your heart broken by like a lover or something is one thing but like getting your heart broken by someone who you think is your friend is like oh Dude, you know, so I really felt that song. I haven't sang that song in years, but yeah, that that was a particular because I used to close with that song, I think, because it was yeah. the hardest song to sing. It was the biggest performance and it was kind of emotional. And I, I wasn't always sure if I'd be able to sing anything else after that. So I used to put that at the end of the show. This is kind of a random question. Where did you get the name Seafoam Green? Seafoam Green, so there's a, a guy called Adrian Gautry, who's a British pedal steel player and guitar player and multi-instrumentalist and a good friend of mine. And so when we were making Topanga, Rich, so Adrian is the only player, person who played anything on that Topanga record that wasn't there. And he played the slide intro on the song Sister. So he wrote that melody. I sent him, I love this playing. And Rich was like, I, you know, when when you release this record, I think you should release it under a band name. There's lots of Irish sounding singer songwriter names. So I think you should like create a pseudonym. So then I was kind of on the look for a name. And then I asked Adrian and he just had a bunch of band names in his back pocket. And uh, he said it. And then once he said it, I started seeing the color everywhere. So I kind of took that as a sign. I liked saying it, you know, sea foam green. It was like the tactility of the words were very pleasing to say. And then it, yeah, it just kind of stuck. So following the uh, the Seafoam Green, the first album, the Topanga Mansion, you haven't put out another album since. What, did, how come that relationship with Rich and him producing and that kind of thing didn't carry forward a bit longer? Well, after we did that, I did a bunch more tours and kind of things with him since then. But he he just got went back to doing his own thing. I think he had a foray into thinking that he wanted to start a record label, and some funding came in for that record label and that funding went on making Topanga and then they were supposed there was supposed to be more funding to come in to make what record came after Crooked Sun? Ceaseless Sight, was it? Yeah. Ceaseless Sight, yeah. So there was supposed to be funding to come in to make that and then when that all kind of dried up he had to go and sign Eagle Rock Records to, to make the record and the label never happened and it just kind of fizzled out. And then I think he maybe lost interest in 
producing bands for a little bit and um, just wanted to go. I think the Crows flirted with getting back together and he just kind of, you know, people like that. It's hard. It's impossible to like nail them down to one thing for any period of time. The dude's like a butterfly. You know what I mean? It's just like, off, you know, off he goes. Well, you just put out a single from the forthcoming Phone Green record, The House on the Hill, which is has a really cool vibe to it. A great song.
I'm guessing the album is going to be in the same vein. Yeah, yeah. That's that's not even the the heaviest tune. We I like I left it a minute between records though, didn't I? Like yeah. when did, when, I just because Topanga was so much. I love that record and it was so good. Even if I do say so myself, <laughs> I just I got loads of offers to make loads of records since then. It always felt like a step backwards, and I was like, I'd rather not. I'd rather die on the Topanga mansion hill then shoehorn in some other bullshit records just to quicken up the back catalog you know what i mean so then i just kept writing and writing and writing and then when we came on board and we kind of became more of a band and there was more of an input and then we started doing a lot more gigs and then a friend of mine met tyler greenwell from tedeschi trucks and he said hey dave's looking to make a record and he was like oh i've heard that dude i think i met him a couple of times and because Richard opened for TTB on a bunch of shows that I was selling the merch on and hanging out. Um, so we'd met a couple of times and he just passed on the number, got touched me and said, send me what you have. And so I sent him maybe 30 songs and he just rang me like super excited. He was like this fucking dope, like get to Atlanta. I look after everything else. Excellent. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Sounds the, the house on the hill sounds fantastic. It actually has more of a, uh, a kind of a Delaney and Bonnie vibe to it a little bit, you know? Yeah. Well, I learned a lot over, so I was with Rich from like 2011 to like 2018 or 19, like as a, as kind of half understudy figure or whatever. That's the way I look at it. You know what I mean? Like he took an interest in like making me not a douchebag you know, <laughs> that, you know what I mean? Yeah. I really wanted to kind of digest all the things that I'd learned and all the books that I'd read and the music he'd got me to listen to and the conversations we'd had on the bus over years and years and like really digest that and quantify it and turn it into like, okay, so how do I take all this information that I've got from this really cool dude and make it me? How do I make a a record that is like, not just, I want to sound like the Black Rose on this song and I want to sound like the, you know what I mean? Because I always remember he said, he's like, quit trying to be somebody and be somebody. <laughs> he used to always like turn up. I'd look sharp. He'd be like, you always turn up. You look sharp. You're looking good. You fucking chat to chat. But your songs are kind of shitty. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, let's working on how good I look. And let's start working on like what I'm saying. And, you know, as a 20 year old egomaniac guitar player, that was hard to hear. But it was also the best thing that you know, could have ever been said to me. Well, I'm, what are some of your influences, like, musically? What were you into that, that led into creating your sound? I love Credence. Credence are my number one. And then I love I love Irish trad music. I love Neil Young. I love I love Delaney and Bonnie. Um, and I love the band. The band The band and Credence, that's it. I could, like, everyone Everyone else can fuck off. The band, <laughs> that's it. Let me ask. Let me ask you this. I, I grew up in the Mississippi Delta. Obviously, pretty much music as we know it came came from that area. But it's the Europeans though were into that style of music much more before people around here were. And and we've talked like with Mark Ford about this. And I and I have another podcast. I've talked to some other people. Like uh, the European fans know so much more about 
American music, it seems like. And they also, once they're a fan of a band, they don't turn on you. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like, it's kind of like in England, you can go see a band that was big in the 80s and, you know, that over here can play to 300 people. And over there, they played at several thousand. What is it mm-hmm. about American music that, that just draws the Europeans in? I'm not sure. Like, that's a good question. I think it's because it's the next generation. So, like, I know it's American music, but it's not. It's Irish, Scottish, and African music that landed in America. And then was, like, America was like the pot that it all got stirred around in. So I guess the American music is like the echo of what the Europeans and the African music kind of started, in a way. Because, you know, if you like folk music, that's Celtic, right? Mm-hmm. And blues and jazz, that's African. And the music that we know and love is a mixture of the two. But that works the same way with American bands. Like, I know bands that play to, like, thousands of people in America and come over here and play to, like... Like, I was, I played with Rich in Hanover, and he played to nine people. Oh. Right? He walked yeah. out on stage, and they didn't even applaud to welcome him. And he was like, really? <laughs> you know? So, it's I think it's six and one half and a dozen of the other, comparing the two, like, the appreciation from American and European fans. Well, how do you see... Uh, you know, for lack of a better term, the music business these days and how people digest music and how they buy music or don't buy music, they stream it. Like I, I, I personally think that, you know, as as accessible as streaming is, it's damaging to the music that that the artists make because it's yeah. nobody puts any value in in purchasing an album anymore. Well, this is why us at Seafoam Green Incorporated have uh, have tried with this with our new record, Martin's Garden, to have a slightly different approach because we wanted to give it to the people that wanted it, but not have it like, not have it available to the people that didn't want it. So like House on the Hill came out on, when did it come out? April 1st? Um, I don't even know. April 1st. It was, yeah, it was April 1st. For April Fool's Day, right? So that's up on Spotify. And then June 1st, the album is out, but it's only out physically. So we're going to do a single a month for 10 months because there's 10 tracks on the record but from june 1st if you want it you can buy it but you got to buy it on cd or you got to buy it on record see i think that's a fantastic approach it's, it's almost to me for a lot of people music has become very disposable because you can just pick up your phone search something and it's right there for you there's no yeah. there's none of that seeking it out and buying it and trying it i, I think it's very detrimental to to music yeah. and i think like spotify as much as everybody like jumps on the bandwagon of fuck Spotify and fuck this and fuck that. It's like, I love being able to listen to every fucking record that's ever been released on a whim, right? I've got a one day a week I work as a gardener, right? Which I love. I'm in this beautiful forest, me and my wife with headphones in, and I can listen to like 10 records a day that I've never heard before. I couldn't do that 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. And not even do that. I could go to the record store, buy 10 records, put them in my CD, man, and they might all suck. Whereas if I can listen to it, I'm like, this record's shitty. I'm going to pick a different record. <laughs> right. You know? Well, that's so, that's kind of the method I would u- was using Spotify for, was like a, a sampling almost, you know, to listen yeah. to something. And then I, if I liked it, I'd go buy it. Yeah, it's a showroom. Exactly. But one of the things, though, I think that happens is also, like a new album comes out for a day or two, there's a lot of publicity for it, then it's on to the next thing. And, and I'm guilty of this. So I'm speaking to myself. I'll listen to one or two songs like, eh, it doesn't grab me all of a sudden. And I just completely throw it away versus like when I was growing up, you you know, you to go buy an album when you're 12 or 13, it's a significant financial investment. 
And like yeah. I would, you know, I would, well, I've spent 14, 15 bucks on this. I'm going to listen to it over and over again until I like it. And there's a lot yeah. of albums that I, that I bought back then that I didn't like initially and turned out to be some of my favorite albums just because like I had such a financial investment in it. And that's, <laughs> that's why I think like what you're doing is actually, I've never heard anybody else doing that. I think that's pretty smart yeah. and that's very business savvy. Well, it's just, I love making records. I love my music, but I got bills, man. I bought my first house last year. I'm married. I want to have kids. I want to go on tour. I can't go on tour if no one's buying a record. Because believe it or not, like, we still don't really get paid for shows. Like, I come, like, listen, so I fly all the way to New York. I play the city winery and I get like a hundred bucks. So I got to sell merch. And if everyone's just listening to it on Spotify and no one's buying the CD that I'm printing myself on the bus like with the CD burner on my fucking Mac, my 2012 MacBook Pro. <laughs> I bought a rubber stamp with my name. Like, it's impossible. And like how many, and like not including myself, but how many amazing musicians and songs are we missing out on because it's just too hard? Or they're not, like, I'm stubborn as fuck. I'm going to be a musician forever, whether it works out or not. So I'd really like it to work out. I'm doing it anyway. Do you have do you have plans to take uh, this record on the road? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, we will be on tour in America for all of October and November this year. Oh, wow. Full band. Yeah, and this will be the first time taking the full rock and roll band on the tour. Because obviously it's like the last, we did a duo tour for the last American tour, and I was solo. I've been solo since then. And, you know, playing solo is cool, but it's not that much fun, you know? <laughs> Well, I mean, the more people, the more shared and experienced yeah, it is. I mean, right. but from what I understand, Rich's Magpie Salute started as a 10-piece band. And just from the sheer expense of taking around 10 people, they had to kind of whittle that down to six. And it was still an undertaking. I feel like a lot of bands experience that. Like, it's it's very costly to take a, a, a band on the road. Man, I should have been in that band, you know. Yeah. I've never said it loud, but I should have been in that band. That would That would have been interesting. Was there ever any inkling that you might have been no, in that band no i'm not i don't th as much as we were friends and he appreciated he like he really liked rich like the songs i was writing i don't think i was ever i was ever considered in that possibility bracket i was like you know jv to speak your terms minor league yes <laughs> but, but don't you also think there's a chance that could have affected your relationship with him for sure for sure yeah i don't think i'd want to be in a band with rich to be honest, like I liked being friends and maybe the, I think the Black Crows entourage might be cursed. You know, there's a lot of migration through those things and there's a lot of like we're friends, we're not friends. I'd, you know, I'd rather stay out of all that. Do you have plans to go see them on this reunion tour? Sure. Yeah, I'll go. But I don't know. Will it happen? Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to say. I mean, everything's still uh, kind of in limbo. I know here in the States. I know where I am in New York. They're planning on uh, July first is the big, uh, you know, reopening of everything, and hopefully it'll it'll pair. Well, they were to play Red Rocks on my birthday last year, and I had planned to go and watch that, but I haven't seen. Has things been rescheduled? I haven't seen. Is there new dates for everything? I think yeah. most dates are still in place. Okay, cool. Well, I wish you know, I wish them all the luck, and I hope it works out. And I'm glad that you know they're getting on well. And yeah, I want to go see the Black Crows sing. And play, of course. Is it the Black Crows? I know everyone's kicking off, like, but whatever. Whatever the Black Crows is to you personally, that's what it is, and that's, that's how I've always kind of, you know, I'm, at the heart of it, it's always those two I brothers. Really, the whole thing that I don't have the 
the Mark Ford era or the the this era or the Johnny Colt or you know that's all kind of history to me so when I came in to the Black Crows Luther was playing guitar right you know and then it was Jackie and and then that was it I think right and there was yeah. nobody else. so you your yeah. friend your friends with Luther no I've met him a few times and I've seen his band live and I've like he sat in with Rich a bunch of times when I was you know assisting Rich in a bunch of things so we're you know he probably doesn't know who I am. He's a heck of a player. But I did a lot of tours with Big Red, Randy, who is, um, who's not with us anymore, um, who was like, he was he was Luther's guy, right? And then he came on a couple acoustic tours with me and Rich for a while. So I got to know him real well. We roomed on the tours, and he was like, might be the craziest dude I've ever met in my life. <laughs> you must have a wealth of stories to tell. Uh, yeah, and I'm willing to tell him now. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's... What's uh what's the most memorable one you could share? Uh, the most memorable one is 2011 Hammersmith Shepherd's Bush Empire backstage. Jimmy Page had just sat in to play Shake Your Money Maker, and Rich was kind of uh, bringing me around, introducing me to everybody. And I had a guitar with me, and he walked up and he was like, "Hey, Jimmy, this is my friend Dave. Will you sign his guitar?" And Jimmy was like, "Nope." <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Apparently, like. Yeah, Jimmy doesn't sign guitars anymore because there's so many fake Jimmy Page signature Les Pauls that he just doesn't even enter into that world anymore. It would be nice if he explained that to you rather than kind of just gut punching yeah. you. Nope. <laughs> you got to wonder, did Rich know that and set you up? Quite possibly. He is like that. <laughs> he is like that, yeah. He's a funny dude. I mean, do you, do you take away your time touring with Rich in, in various capacities? Do you, do you look back on it fondly? Was it a, overall mm -hmm. a good time? My 20s were the fucking best, right? I would be on tour at Rich in Europe having the best time, whether it was opening or just selling merch or just hanging out. And then I'd get home to my now wife, girlfriend, and she'd be like, so let's go on holiday. And I would wake up to an email notification on my phone that just said, you fly to LAX tomorrow. And I'd be like, oh, sweet, I'm going to LA tomorrow. <laughs> and then I go to LA and then we'd, I'd do like an East uh, West Coast run, Dude, it was the best. I met so many people. I learned so much. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Well, as a, as a guy who plays guitar, and obviously you, you enjoy doing that, his guitar collection is kind of pretty famous. What was it like see, seeing? And did you ever play any, like the Gretsch and stuff I, like that? Every one of them. We <laughs> used to go to the Black Crows lockup, and he'd be, I'd be like, what's this? He was like, oh, I just have it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he'd give me a couple of guitars too, which is nice, which is really sweet. It was heartbreaking to find out that a lot of his stuff got damaged in that uh, Hurricane Sandy about 10 years ago. But then he got a big old insurance check and head to Gruens in Nashville and bought them all back. <laughs> well, yeah, he got, um, yeah, his 335 got fucked up, which is, I know he was really upset about. And then he spent a ton of money getting, I think it was RS Guitars, trying to restore it and make it. I think there's a YouTube video about it, actually. And the gold top where they, like, they scraped all the gold paint out of the water and mixed it back up and sprayed the guitar back with the original gold paint, which is nuts. Oh man, that is that's crazy. I know that uh, 335. I mean, he had that thing since the, their second record, so I'm sure he had a big attachment to that guitar. Uh, that's the um, that's the electric guitar I used on Topanga. Is that right? Yeah. So I used that, and then he gave me uh, a Laravie acoustic guitar the day I arrived. I thought some was fish. He was like, fly over, don't bother bringing a guitar. I've got loads. I was like, oh, all right, cool. And on day one, he was like, I got you this guitar. And like, it was like the most, it's like a $7,000 guitar. Wow. And I'm, I'm like, and I haven't got any money. And I'm like, 
you couldn't like give me like a thousand dollar guitar and maybe like four grand to live on <laughs> but yeah no and then i sold that guitar at a moment of weakness a couple of years later and regretted it ever forever and, and then i was in a car crash a couple of years later on tour and i got a bit of a payout and i went straight to the dude who i sold the guitar to and i was like can i have this back and he was like yeah sure same money and it was yeah and it's he'd never played it, it had the same strings on it that i that is on it when i recorded topanga which was cool that is that's great he was kind of kind of holding it for you you know yeah <laughs> i mean you can correct me if i'm wrong but i have a kind of a different take on on rich robinson i think he's a very misunderstood guy and i think he honestly is very generous to the to those that he spends his time with and it seems like yeah. he gets a bad rap you know i mean is that is there any truth to what i'm saying or absolutely listen i die on the hill from you know what i mean like he changed my life and he had he put nothing but like positive energy into me i could call him at two in the morning and he would answer the phone and we would just talk shit yeah like the things he did yeah the things he did for me to make my life cool and fun and interesting and but also kind of was like don't do that don't do this that shit why did you say that? you know what i mean didn't had no problem being like steering me down the maybe learning from mistakes that he might have made when he was younger i wouldn't be who i am or where i am if it wasn't for that man and it's hard because i see him get a bad time but i've also seen him be really shitty with people so it's hard you know but can you imagine being him can you imagine getting like a two million dollar check at 18 and just be expected to be like a balanced human being <laughs> yeah it kind of would throw you out he was extremely young when they got when they became famous so yeah it's thrown on they were like on toward aerosmith zz top and then they were jumping when they were in europe in the early 90s they were jumping between opening for the stones and page and plant like what the like how are you going to be a normal dude i'd be hard uh, to deal yeah. with i would be i'll go ahead and admit it right now and he didn't even he, like he didn't even do any drugs yeah, that's what they say. He's like the, you know, the no, been I, the straight I, ones. I can tell you right now, because I have asked him as a pot smoker a million. I was like, no, 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 no. Tell me, tell me. And he was like, he's too much of a control freak to like not be straight. I think I've been drunk with him like three times in 10 years. Well, he always seemed like he's the, whether it be the magpie salute or the black crows, or he was kind of the musical director, you know, like he was kind of keep making sure everything was running correctly and he doesn't get a lot of credit for that but i, I think that's that's a skill of his yeah absolutely he commands a very high standard and why wouldn't he like what's the point if you're not doing your best absolutely and uh we do appreciate you coming on and joining us dave i hope you enjoyed yourself oh man yeah thanks for having me well just one thing on the record yeah um as fans of the you know the rich robinson band outside of the black crows which is what i toured with um as the merch guy and as the opener we've got ted pecky on bass we've got matt slocum on keys fantastic um you know we got derek trucks on guitar we've got tyler greenwell on drums. you know there's like holy shit i wish i would have known that uh that blackberry smoke concert i went to i actually went to it with matt slocum um, oh nice yeah so i wish i'd have known i wish i would have uh i wish i've known that i'll have to text him when we get off here and so they just interviewed Dave O'Grady. He didn't. Uh, he didn't happen to. I think. No, I didn't tell him we were interviewing him, but he, that never came up. Well, there you go. If you tell him, tell him I love him. He's man. Absolutely. He's a. He's a. First of all, he's a brilliant musician, but he's an even better human being. Dude, he, isn't he the nicest dude? Like the like, the nicest dude. I'd be cocky if I could play like him. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, honestly, he was. Um, 
our the first guest we ever had on this podcast. He was the first one to give us a chance, so we always have a special right. place for him. Uh, he's a great guy. So we usually give our guests the opportunity to select the uh, playout song. It could be any song you want, one of yours, anything. Just uh, so you got anything okay. in mind? It ain't easy from uh, through a crooked sun. Absolutely. All right, everybody. So we thank Dave O'Grady for joining us today. Stay tall, everybody. Mm-hmm.